On behalf of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Psalm 96. Psalm 96, if you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one of the black ones from the pew in front of you and you will find Psalm 96 on page 499. I'm going to read the whole psalm, but we will spend our time focusing in large part on verses 1 to 6. We are in week 2, as Pastor Brent mentioned, of a series in which we are considering Christ-exalting worship. Last week, we looked at worshiping the Lord on the Lord's Day, just in general, and then this week, we'll be considering worshiping the Lord on the Lord's Day through song, as we'll be talking about music today. Many of you know Pickle Baptist Church exists to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ until Christ is all. And we do this, we seek to do this, using four God-given means. Christ-exalting preaching, uh, Christ-exalting worship, Christ-forming discipleship, and Christ-like service. And in this series, we're dropping in on Christ-exalting worship, and we're asking the question, why? What does it mean to have a worship service that exalts Christ. What does that look like? How does it work? How do we proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ through Christ's exalting worship? So today, we're asking a little bit more of a specific question. Why do we sing in church? And here's the main point that I'll be driving at this morning. That Christ-exalting worship gatherings are governed by God's Word, and they will include a singing about God to God and to one another. So, Christ-exalting worship gatherings governed by God's Word will include singing about God to God and to one another. And I'll seek to make that point by drawing a couple, of, a couple of elements out of Psalm chapter 96, as well as a couple other places. So we'll start with Psalm 96 in the Old Testament. I'll read it and pray, and we'll get to work. Psalm 96, beginning at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength And beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we bow ourselves before you before your splendor and majesty and strength and beauty. And we ask, Father, for two things this morning, that you would both give us eyes to see the glories of Jesus Christ and ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, your people. May we not be blind, may we not be deaf to these wonderful glories that we read in your Word. Do this for Jesus' sake, we ask. Amen. Well, if it's all right with you, I would like to start by reading a portion of a letter that I read this week. And here it is. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as the more established style. Because there's so many songs, you can't learn them all. It puts... Too much emphasis on instrumental music rather than lyrics. The preceding generation got along without it. Some of these new music upstarts are lewd and loose. Close quote. Now, I should be clear, that letter was not addressed to me. It was posted in a newspaper editorial from 1723. Attacking the new music of one Mr. Isaac Watts. You may have heard of him. He's written some hymns, 13 of which are in your hymnal. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, a joy to the world. The author of this letter didn't care for Mr. Watts and his, well, to quote him, new Christian music. Near as I can tell, Christians have been arguing about music for about 1,300 years. Every generation or two, this sort of thing pops up. Worship wars, as they're sometimes called. And they've split churches. Sometimes they've split entire denominations. And of course, sometimes these things are justified. But many times, they're not. Stylistic preferences or pastoral pride have certainly played too great a role at times and created unnecessary division in the church. One person once acquired a full orchestra, but another person thinks that's too showy and wants no music at all. Ah, one person thinks that music is too short. Another thinks it's too long. Someone thinks that the music is too loud, but others think it's too quiet. One person calls for the old hymns, and another person calls for the newer old hymns. 
And then there's a young guy in the back always talking about exclusive psalmody. Well, you've probably heard it all. And so you've, you have to be wondering at times, well, why even bother with all of the arguments that Christians find themselves in about music, form, and style? Why even sing in church? Well, you can have my answer, and it is because. That's why. Sure, we argue about style and form, but we got to sing in church. We've got to, because God said to. He said it a bunch of times, and so we do what he says. Now, we're going to look at four things about music and singing in church, four things that we'll draw largely from Psalm 96. If you're taking notes, I'll refer to these points as we go along, and I'll repeat them so you can follow along. The first I've already mentioned, and it is this, the first point, that singing in church is a good thing because it is commanded, singing is commanded by God. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 96. The psalmist says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. <laughs> it's an imperative. It's a command. Three times in these two verses, you're commanded to sing. Singing is commanded in Scripture 50 times. 50. No, just, to, just as a comparison, you shall not murder is commanded twice. <laughs> 50 times we're told to sing in church. It is a command of God. Well, the truth is that God's people have always been a singing people. There's something like 185 songs in your Bible. The biggest book in your Bible is a collection of songs. So singing is just in our blood. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and got to the other side, anyone remember the first thing they did? They sang. The Song of Moses, Exodus 15. It's the first recorded song in the Bible, and actually it's the last recorded song in the Bible. When King David brought the ark into Jerusalem, he set up a tent for the ark, and he committed 4,000 musicians and 288 trained singers to praise God around the clock. I was a worship leader for a lot of years. And just the thought of dealing with 4,288 musicians makes me want to bury myself in a hole. I'm just trying to get those people to show up to practice on time. Are you, you serious? 4,200? But David, it was important to David. Music and singing is important. And we usually think of King Solomon, David's son, as the... Proverbs guy, and he is. But did you know that Solomon also wrote over 1,000 songs? God sings. Did you know? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord 
your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jesus sang. Pastor Brent mentioned the Last Supper. Did you know that Jesus sang hymns with his disciples at the Last Supper? Matthew chapter 26. The Apostle Paul and Silas sang hymns when they were locked up in the can before God sprung them out. Several places in the New Testament, it mentions singing in the gathered assembly. There's a bunch of singing in heaven in the book of Revelation. Well, I hope you get the point. Christians sing. It's what we do. We've always sang. Now, of course, form and style change from decade to decade, from culture to culture. But the importance of singing in the Christian life has never changed. We'll fight about singing because we value singing. And it's important that we get it right. It's important, actually, that we argue about the right things. And I think this psalm will help. So why do we sing? Well, we sing because God said to. But that doesn't answer the question as to why. Why does God want us to sing? Why did he give us the ability to sing? Well, a brief survey of the subject in the Bible helps us to understand the reason. And I think once we understand the reason as to why we sing, it will curb some of our arguments, or at least keep our arguments focused on the right things. The most helpful thing that you need to know about music in church if you, if you remember nothing else that I'll say today, remember this. The most important thing you need to know about music in church is that it has an address. Your singing has an address. Singing is addressed to someone. Okay, that's the big point. But the biggest pill that we'll all have to swallow in this subject is that my singing in my church is not addressed to me, my singing in my church is addressed, but that address doesn't land on me. If music in my church is not mostly about me. I say mostly on purpose. We'll come back to that word. It's not mostly about me. So singing has an address, and I'll just roll the curtain back. It's addressed up, and it's addressed out. We, we sing to God, and we sing to one another. So vertical and horizontal. So point one, singing is commanded. Point number two is that singing is vertical. It's addressed to God. We sing about God to God. Look at verses one and two again. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Singing is vertical. It is from our lips to our Lord. Ephesians 5, 
Verse 19 says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We sing to the Lord about the Lord. And there are a number of reasons we do this. First and foremost reason that we sing about the Lord to the Lord is, it appears there in verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Praiseworthy things deserve to be praised. Great is the Lord, so he's greatly to be praised. Have you ever wondered why humans are so obsessed with knowing the best of everything? I think my son has watched every single YouTube video ever made about the best basketball player, our best football player. We just cannot get enough of lists of the best, the best books, the best cars, the best actors, the best tools, the best ovens, the best fishing lures, the best of everything. And this is because praiseworthy things deserve to be praised. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We sing praise to the Lord because he is most praiseworthy, most glorious, most good, most splendid, most majestic, most strong, and most Beautiful. This is why in Revelation chapter 5, every creature in heaven cries, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So giving praise to God is simply a matter of justice. It's the ultimate form of justice. And refusing to give praise to God is the ultimate form of injustice. God commands his people to praise him. Because God is just and his people are to be a people of justice. And the most just thing is that God would justly receive the glory that is due his name. You know, God is the most God-centered being in existence. Listen, listen, nobody loves God more than God loves God. Nobody enjoys God more than God enjoys God. Does that sound off to you? Is that off-putting to you? If it is, it's because your view of God is too small. God is not like us. God is not like anyone else that you know. Uh, everyone here probably knows a self-absorbed person. They can't get enough of themselves. They, they're always the hero of their own stories. And it's gross. Because it's inaccurate. Because it's unjust. Because they're not as good as they think they are. But this is not, this doesn't apply to God. Because God's greatness and God's Goodness and God's amazingness cannot be exaggerated, cannot be overstated. There is no one or no thing above him. He cannot be anything other than God-centered and God-glorifying because if he were, he'd be an idolater and would cease to be God. He's the most glorious being. 
And therefore, justice demands that the most glorious being would be celebrated and accredited as just that, most glorious. Man's self-centeredness is gross because it is unjust and it is the cause of all kinds of evil. But God's self-centeredness is glorious and just and it is the source of all good. The fact that God delights in being God is the reason that you and I exist at all. It's the reason anything exists. You see, from eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have delighted in and been fully satisfied in being God. And there's nothing outside of God that God needed to make him happy, to make him joyful, to make him delighting and satisfied. And yet Genesis 1 says that God created which means that creation is simply an overflow of the abundance of God's enjoyment of God. It is an invitation to others to share in God's delight in himself. And that makes your worship of God not only just, but the very purpose This, beloved, is why God commands his people to sing about him. This is why God has commanded his creatures to sing to him. Have you ever wondered about that? Why does God command you to sing his praise back to him? Like those of you who are married, would it be, would your, would your spouse be cool with, if you just said, I need you to tell me how amazing I am? Like every day. Tell me of the wonders that is me. How would that fly? Not well, I'm assuming. But God does it. C.S. Lewis wondered about this. Is this because God is insecure? That he wants us to tell him how amazing he is? Has he forgotten? Is he like a teenage girlfriend that keeps wanting to, to her boyfriend to say, tell me you love me. No, 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 I forgot. Tell me again. I need to hear it again. No, God's command to praise him is not from an insufficiency or forgetfulness in him. It is an invitation to joy. Lovers praise the object of their joy. And the love that they have for the object of their joy increases when it is shared. Lewis taught me this. He wrote, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. And this is how God made you. When you find a recipe that you love, the first thing you start thinking about is making it again and sharing it with your friends. 
Your love of a sport, for example, increases when you get to share it with others. This is why watching a sporting event is so much better when it's live than when it's on TV. Because you're sharing in the enjoyment and emotions, good or bad, with people that you're with. We sing because it stirs our emotions, our affections for God. That's what music does. It has a way of adding strength to an an affection, an emotion. Like if a, 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 a girlfriend can write to her ex-boyfriend after she's been, been broke up and they've, they're heartbroken, she can say, I will always love you. And that may mean something. But when the music drops off and that snare snaps and Whitney Houston belts that line, you feel it. Because it's music. James 5, 13 says, If any is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. But I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on the second part of that verse. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Singing to God about God is an invitation to increase cheerfulness. Now, if you hear last week, you might be thinking, hold up, Pastor. Last week you told me that our Sunday morning services are geared to the mind, and now you're all talking about emotions. Which is it? Well, we gear our services toward the mind so that the affections are stirred. That our worship gatherings will be emotion. They will include emotion when Christ is faithfully proclaimed. Because we are an emotional being. God made us that way. And the problem is not with our emotions, it's with emotionalism. When our worship services are designed to make us feel something, when the emotional experience is the goal, that's where it gets imbalanced. So it's not wrong to sing about how you feel about God. Some of the Psalms do this. But the vast majority of the Psalms focus on the character and nature and work of God. And that stirs the emotions. So our theology is sort of like the locomotive. And our emotions follow. So point one, singing is commanded. Point two, singing is vertical. It is addressed to God. And then point three is that singing is horizontal. Singing is horizontal. It is addressed to one another. Look at verse 2 again. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. The word tell means to bring good news. means to herald the salvation of God. And this, this is what makes singing in church Christ-exalting. We herald his salvation, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. The Bible teaches that God made man upright, but every one of us has sought our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one 
to his own way. And that we are headed to destruction under the judgment of God for our sin. But God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to be buried, and to be raised on the third day. And the Lord laid on him the penalty of us all. That all who turn to him in faith are forgiven of their sins, cleansed of their unrighteousness, and given eternal life. And singing in church is a way of telling this story to one another. This is something I did not understand when I led praise bands. For me, it was all about the personal experience. That my job as a praise leader was to give people an experience with Jesus. It was all vertical. And it wasn't completely wrong. It just neglected this part of what singing is in church, the horizontal part. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is in the New Testament, so it's toward the back of your Bible. If you're kind of new to the Bible, if you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find it on page 978, Ephesians chapter 5. Something I want you to see about the horizontal element of singing in church. We'll pick up reading in the second half of verse 18. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you catch it? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Congregational singing is instructional. Paul said the same thing in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing is instructional. Music and singing, it just has a way of sticking things in our brains. And I have to think, this is how the Lord made us. How did you learn the ABCs? With a song. You probably won't remember what you did on your 14th birthday. You probably won't remember what your wife sent you to Kroger to buy. But you'll remember every line of Hotel California. Anyone know the motto of uh, Ace Hardware? Maybe a couple of you. But you'll probably know this one. Nationwide is... How the heck? It gets stuck. Our songs and hymns make the truths of God stick in our minds. I've told Corey this many times. My kids don't go home from church reciting something they heard me say in a, a sermon. But almost every week they go home singing a song he taught them. One preacher put it like this. Let me write the hymns of the church, and I care not who writes 
the theology. This is why the words that we sing are so important. It's why the point of the sound team and the worship band is to be invisible. So that God's people are focused on the words, the truths about God when they sing to one another. When we gather on the Lord's Day to sing, we are addressing God, and we are addressing one another, the vertical, the horizontal. And, and I hate to be a dead horse here, but this is why your physical presence in church on the Lord's Day is so important. Being with your brothers and sisters is a way for both of us to receive the encouragement and reminder of the all-satisfying glory and goodness of our God. And it is your way to give that same encouragement and reminder to your brothers and sisters. So, As a member of this church, sometimes I'm let in on things that are going on in the membership and the other members of the church. And so when our worship band leads us to sing, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I hear that, and in the back, I hear those words, a full-throated bellowing from a woman who's in a loveless marriage, from a father whose child has abandoned the faith, from a brother who's waiting on a diagnosis, Hear him and her singing that, and my faith is strengthened. They're telling me of the salvation of my God. They're teaching me that the same God that is sustaining them will sustain me when sea billows roll over my life. When I hear my church family sing, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I'm emboldened. I can sing that truth to my fear. I can sing that truth to my shame. And I can know that my sin is great, but my God is greater. And I can confess my sin to a trusted brother and know that he believes that my sin is great and my God is greater. It protects me from unbelief. It protects me I'm trying to walk this path alone. That's what singing in church does. That's what telling of the wonders of God to one another does. It protects. Let me prove it to you. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's towards the back of your Bible, the front of your Bible. Page 173, if you're using one of the church ones. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses 
is, is told to write a song. Now, you, you need to know that at this point in Israel's story, Moses is an old man. He's about to hand leadership of the country over to Joshua. The second generation from Egypt is preparing to take the promised land, and there are many dangers that face them, but no danger is greater than their own ability to forget their God and to worship other gods. And God knows this. So listen to the instructions that he gives to Moses. Deuteronomy 31, look at verse 19. Moses, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in their mouths of the offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I've brought them into the land which I swore to give. Moses, teach my people a song And their song will be a witness for me. When they sin, this song will confront their sin and they will turn back to me. You know, that's the the thing that we're doing together when we sing prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So PBC, when you come to church, come to sing. Sing loudly. Sing with joy. Close your eyes, enjoy your time, sure, but then open them and address your holy song to me. I need to hear it. Tell me how deep the Father's love, how vast beyond measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch, his treasure. I need to hear that line. So sing vertically, sing horizontally. One more thing, fourth point, last point. Congregational singing is evangelistic. Singing is evangelistic. Go back to Psalm chapter 96. Psalm 96, verse 3. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Declare his glory among the nations. Tell of his wonders among all the people. 
So our songs unveil two things, who God is and what he has done. His glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. We tell of his salvation. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's simply a way of saying all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We declare his glory among the nations when we sing, therein his, the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. It's evangelism. Congregational singing is evangelistic. So if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you were listening a few moments ago when these people were singing. I hope you were listening to the words that they were saying. We know these things to be true. We sing in part to show you that you're an outsider, that you don't know these songs because you're an outsider, because you have turned your back on the one who made you. You've lived your life the way you want to live, and you are under the judgment of God for your sins. But friend, listen to the words that we sing. Along with that statement that you're an outsider is the invitation to come and be an insider. Oh, I hope you do that today. God gave his only son to die on the cross for sinners. If you would turn to him repenting of your sins and trusting in him, God would cleanse you of your sin and make you an insider. And then come back next week, and we'll teach you some more songs. You keep coming back, and you'll be the insider that sings the song to the outsider that makes the invitation for them to come. Well, I hope you see. Much of our arguing about music in church, it tends to miss the point. Form and style are important. They have their place. Whether we sing from a hymn book or a projector, a cappella or with music, old hymns or modern hymns, two things matter more than anything else, the content and the connection. Is it true what we're singing? Is it addressed to God? Is it addressed to one another? The ultimate purpose of singing is to ascribe glory to God, which he deserves. It is to teach and admonish one another. It is to tell the lost the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let us, governed by God's word, endeavor with humility and with patience. Let us sing songs about God, to God, and to one another. Father, your word has commanded us to sing and to give thanks to you for everything. And so please, Lord, would you now receive our thanks for giving us music, for 
giving us song, for teaching us about singing in church. Thank you, Lord, that Matthew wrote about Jesus singing. We can't wait, cannot wait for the day that we see him face to face and hear him. Lord, we confess that as we sang earlier, we've made our worship services so much about us and about our personal preferences. We've turned a precious thing meant to glorify you, herald your son. We've made it about us. Please forgive us. Forgive us for having neglected to understand the horizontal elements of worship. Why do we make a mess of so many things? Lord, thank you for being so merciful, so gracious, so patient with us, so gentle. And teach us, teach us to sing. To sing as Paul instructed us to sing. To sing as the psalmists modeled for us. Give us the song of Moses, the song of the Redeemer. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Would you please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. Today, your assurance of pardon comes from Psalm chapter 89, where we read the psalmist say, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Brothers, lead us in one more.